Today's healthcare can be confusing, frustrating, and at times downright scary. Here to help with clearing up the confusion, putting an end to the frustration, and making it a lot less scary, from Los Angeles are your hosts, Eric and Roy, on the Informed Patient Radio Show. Well, welcome back to the Informed Patient Radio Show, and I'm your host, Eric, and sitting beside me is my co-host, Susan. And we have a very special guest today. We have Bonnie Freeman, who is a palliative care uh, nurse practitioner at the City of Hope, and she's also a published author of Resilient Hearts. So welcome to the show, Bonnie. Thank you. And nice, nice to, to have, be here. Oh, thank you so very much, and thank you for spending a Sunday with us on this hot Sunday. Ah, uh, no problem. <laughs> uh, Bonnie, palliative care, hospice care, a big uh, topic today in the healthcare arena. Uh, unfortunately, not too many Americans really have a good understanding of palliative care and hospice, so we're really hoping that you'll shed some very needed light on the subject. Are you ready? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So our first question is, uh, just briefly, if you could tell us, you know, just kind of how, how you got involved with palliative care and hospice, uh, what really interested you in palliative care, and just briefly, how, how did you end up at City of Hope? Been a, I've been a nurse for about 35 years, most of it in critical care. I mm. gravitated to the patients that were not doing well right. and spent a lot of extra time with them and the families. Found out that special attention and that need to be supportive of them actually had a name. And, and in about, oh, early 2000s, found out it was palliative care. Um, I was working on my master's and I was going more towards teaching. And I had one of my professors say, check out LMEC, which is End of Life Nursing Education Consortium. Yeah, it's a program put on by AACN, and it's based out of City of Hope, and it trains people um, on providing end-of-life care. Took that, taught it, um, really got involved with it, and uh, decided to go on to get my nurse practitioner because where I was at in Kentucky at the time, right. they had a adult nurse practitioner program with a focus in palliative care. Nice. So I did that. I got to do some amazing work with local hospices and hospitals in the area, learned a ton about it. And um, when I graduated, talked to my husband, and because Kentucky wasn't doing much of the time with nurse practitioners, right. said, if you could go anywhere, where do you want to go? And he said, San Diego, because he's um, a photographer, you know, graphic artist. Wow. And yeah. he was all, he was all about Comic Con. Oh, I yeah. Be, San Diego. He thought that'd be cool. Yeah, of so course. <laughs> I, I actually applied for a job at San Diego Hospice and, uh, Institute of Palliative Medicine and got it and got the job. Oh, good. Um, and unfortunately their program, um, went bankrupt oh. and I, uh, took a position at City of Hope before that all came down and been there ever since. Wow, okay. Well, City of Hope, uh, it's their gain, right? <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Okay. Right. Okay, so, you know, a lot of Americans, they do hear the word hospice. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when they hear hospice, you know what? They conjure up that imagery of the bed, the patients lying in the bed, 
The room's dark. The nurse is holding the hand. And any minute now, the patient might go. And it's mm-hmm. bleak. It's melancholy. It's dark. And right. unfortunately, I think that's, that's, that's the image a lot of people get. Now, now they do, so when you say hospice, they get that unfortunate image. But then when you, here's, here's the twist. When you say palliative care, you get that look like, what's that? <laughs> palliative care right. or supportive medicine. They're, what is this? You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So what I'd like to do, let's tackle both at, you know, let's tackle one and then the other. Let's go ahead okay. and kind of like, since Americans kind of have that bleak, I, I think image of hospice, maybe we can start enlightening the folks now what hospice really is. Let's just, let's get Hollywood out of it and let's get to reality. It's let's, not a, it's not the death squad. Yeah. That, yeah. The, yeah. When the affordable Absolutely. care Absolutely. Uh, act was passed and, right. uh, and all the seniors were freaking out that, you know, we were going to put a pillow over their head or, you know, uh, something was going to happen because that, that's yeah. nothing further from the truth. Absolutely. You know, one of the biggest problems is our benefit for hospice is six months and then you get renewal and, and you can go as long as you need to help. But the average individual only uses hospice for about a week, sometimes two to three days before they die. I have found that hospice is such a negative connotation with the word that when I bring it up to my patients that I feel they're candidates, I don't use the term. I say, I do things like this. Hey, I really want to make arrangements to have all your medicines delivered to your house so you will never have to stand in line in pharmacy and argue about what you need or don't need. I want to have nurses come out to your house and talk with you, support the family, and I'm either going to have them bring a little kit of extra medicine to put in the refrigerator so if you have additional problems during the night, you pick right. up a phone, call them, and they'll tell you what, how to use them. I'm going to make sure you have all the equipment you need. We can provide a special bed. We can provide overbed tables. We can provide walkers, uh, chairs for you to take showers in, and, and really emphasize the support and the equipment. And then once they're going, wow, can you really do all that? And I go, yeah, now I want you to be open-minded about this. The program is called Hospice. And they're usually floored. And I still have patients and families just the other day go, well, I'm not eligible for hospice because I'm not going to die within the next week. And I'm like, no. Right. That's you know, where, yeah. That's where yeah, a lot of, it's a yeah. hard, it's a hard conversation to have with them. But you really try to help them focus and say the only criteria for getting hospice is you have to be able to answer this honestly and they'll ask a physician. Would you be surprised if this patient died in six months? And if they can honestly say no, you're a candidate. Right. And, you know, so people are really shocked. Now, palliative care, people don't know what it is. And if they think they do, it's an immediate association with hospice, especially the docs. And they'll say, my patient isn't sick enough for you. And, right. um, I don't, I, I don't want you around. We're trying to educate people that, Palliative care is really um, supportive care. We take care of symptom management. Yeah. They give the chemo, in this case at City of Hope, we handle the side effects. If they want to deal with the side effects to a point where they just don't feel they're controlling it well enough, they'll contact us. As 
a patient, unfortunately, progresses, a part of palliative care is having those difficult conversations to say, what are your goals? How do you define your quality of life? You, not anybody else. What is it that we can do to help make your life as fulfilling and as comfortable as possible? And you just get them talking. And, And we get involved because families don't understand or there's different arguments. And a lot of times because these docs don't even want to have these conversations. Well, it's so, difficult. It's difficult to have those conversations. It's you're sure, talking about sure. something that could be potentially, uh, it's 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 it could be negative, a lot of emotions, and and again, oh, yeah. and uh, it's time consuming too to have one of those conversations. Yep. And a lot of physicians don't, uh, you know, unfortunately, in these uh, times that we're <laughs> currently in, they don't have a lot of time to have those conversations. So. And, and honestly, I think we are filling a gap. A lot of physicians have the intelligence, the experience to treat, and they're very much part of a curative society. And once that patient evolves to where they are no longer able to be cured, they're kind of at a loss. And a lot of these docs, just simply out of their intellect, kind of missed out on the social skills a little bit. So we kind of fill that gap and promote that communication. Right. So... Is it fair to say that we can maybe say today with our advancements of of uh, symptom management and a lot of the equipment we can get is maybe we can say, is it fair to say that hospice is not exactly about dying, but it's actually about living, right? You know, you could put a much more positive spin on it by looking at it that way. Even what we call the designation when they do not want to have um, extreme measures, technical right. measures taken. Instead of DNR, why don't we say allow a natural death? Sure. Why don't we emphasize on help, let us help you make the time you have quality. Right. And focus on what you want. You yeah. know, and, and, and away from the negative. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. If, People like need if, to look at it that way. Right. Like if a senior's, like somebody who's a grandfather or grandmother, maybe if you ask them, hey, Okay, the doctor is saying maybe six months. So in that six-month period of time, what is important to you? Maybe the grandparent will say, you know what? I want to be able to spend some really good quality time with my grandchildren. And I would imagine with hospice, that could be a part of the treatment goal where you say, okay, let's see what we can do to make it where you're comfortable enough, strong enough, and everything like that to have that quality time with the grand with the grandkids. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So hopefully for a lot of the listeners, we have cleared up that, you know, hospice is not truly the bleak situation that we see in Hollywood. And uh, But you touched on one thing uh, that, and I've seen this as a case manager, and so is Susan. Unfortunately, the hospice conversation is brought about a little bit too late, usually when the active dying process is. And I can tell you a lot of times where I've hastily put, you know, put the hospice referral together and the patient goes to home and, and unfortunately a week later they pass. So there wasn't right. really a whole lot of quality there. It was just more like extreme comfort measures. Um, but right. you are right. We need to bring this out to light. We need to bring this up as a national conf- uh, conference conversation and talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. And we have to, we have, right? We have to get that word out that it's okay to have this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. right. And I think so much of it is people 
we really don't know enough about it, yet we're really more than willing to sit through these horror movies and see all this, you know, slasher stuff and all this, but we can't deal with reality. And I think that's a shame because there's so much if you were informed that you could be prepared for and really make the most of the time you have. And it's really, you think about it, the way anybody should be living their lives, whether they're terminally ill or not. So it's an education thing. It really is. Well, I think the conversation brings about, you know, when you um, are talking about your grandfather or your parents, I mean, that brings up the question of your own mortality when you think, you know, this is what my father wants or this is what my mother wants is their, uh, you know, transition to the to the dying process. And so kind of makes people think, you know, you know, maybe they just want to push it to the back of their minds because they don't, you know, want to face their own mortality. Well, I think the biggest motivator should be if you don't talk about it, your loved ones have to make decisions that they are not completely certain about. And they will agonize over those decisions the rest of their lives. If you can't make plans for yourself and say, look, I've got this in writing. I want you guys to know this is what I want. Do it for your family. They are treating more and more family members for like post-traumatic stress and different psychological disorders because they are so emotionally traumatized second-guessing themselves. And if you could just have these talks, it would, it, it's a world of difference. Absolutely a world of difference. And I really just think it's something in our culture we have to accept that we're all going to die. And we need to talk about it. Right. And not only discuss it, but, you know, put it down on paper. Absolutely. In uh, an advanced directive. You want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about advanced directives and... Um... So people will be more educated as to what they want to do after they've had these conversations? Well, what I would recommend, one of the sites I really like that goes into detail about advanced directives is Five Wishes. And you can Google that and go to these websites or you can do some research on advanced directives. City of Hope has a notary and they have basically streamlined five directives into a one-page uh, document and you can go through and what it does is it simply asks you if you are in a situation where you are unable to speak for yourself what of the following things do you not want to have happen and they list different things about being put on breathing machines and, and extra life support and you know the whole um, CPR scenario and people get worried when they think oh my gosh but what if what if I could live and, and they're going to do this? Doctors aren't stupid. We we know, you know, you come in, you know, I say a 50-year-old who just decides they're going to get organized and, and have an advanced directive, fills it out, they get in a, a car accident and they're still breathing and everything's intact. Of course they're going to do all these measures. You know, this is just when you recognize when or when it is recognized that you are going into total system failure, and the best we're going to do is keep you alive on these machines. It's not, it doesn't even apply when it looks like there is something we can do to help this person return back to normal function. So a lot of it is education, and you have to understand if you do have a terminal illness and you do say, I want everything done because I want to live, 
it doesn't get rid of the underlying disease. The best we do is pop you up and keep you the way you are. you got to define if you call that living. And that's what these documents take you through. And that's what you have to help your family understand what you want. That's a, that's yeah. So that is very very important about what you want if you cannot speak for yourself. Absolutely right. I'd like to also now talk about let's uh, let's dive a little bit a little bit deeper on the palliative care because it's a I, I correct me if I'm wrong but it's a relatively new kid on the block right the hospice has been around mm-hmm. but palliative care is relatively new on the block right 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 um, actually it looks like hospice kind of got started here in this country around Connecticut in the early 80s. And so, so it really hasn't been around a lot. And what happened was some physicians in Montreal said, you know, I like what hospice does. Why aren't we doing that in the hospital setting? And being French, they decided that they wouldn't call it supportive care. They call it palliative care because in French, that's what palliative care means, support. Mm -hmm. And, and it slowly caught on. And I believe it's been about Five years, I think, that it was recognized as its own discipline, where now physicians have to do a residency in palliative medicine to be able to um, work as a palliative physician. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's still pretty new because you still get doctors saying, all right, supportive care, what do you do that I can't do? And we say, Absolutely. Nothing, you can do this, but we're saying, do you have the time to do it? Do right. you have the skills to do it? Because it's a different set of skills. It's the ability to communicate. It's the ability to have these tough conversations. It's the willingness to really work with patients and families and arrive at a treatment plan that's agreeable to everyone. And a lot of docs don't want to take that kind of time. So... That's where it becomes more of a specialty thing is how do you really keep it patient-centered and get away from sometimes the curative focus. Right. So it's a different way of looking at things. Now, is uh, palliative care strictly physiologic or is there other aspects to palliative care? Like, you know, I'm like saying like spiritual, psychological? Oh, palliative care, that's uh, a whole component of it is it's holistic care. We recognize, say, for instance, if you're going to treat someone for pain, you cannot effectively manage pain by simply treating the physical aspect. Pain is also emotional, cultural, spiritual, social. You have to look at the whole person and what they're bringing because that all affects their interpretation of pain. And that truly is what symptom management is about. You have to really spend some time and get to know where this individual is at and understand the different factors that are contributing to their symptoms. Um, And it's really how we should always be treating any kind of disease, any kind of hospitalization. Uh, Because as human beings, we bring so much more to the table than just physical, and palliative care really embraces that and provides individuals that specialize in recognizing what those needs are, and so we work as a team because we also realize no one person can be good at everything. 
Right. So we rely on each other, and it, it really does work quite well. And one other question, who can request a palliative care consult? At, we've really kind of left it wide open. Um, depending on how your structure is at your facility, patients and family, absolutely. You know, I'm in pain and I want help. Um, I've got a lot of other issues. A lot of times what you would want to speak to a social worker about. So patients and, and families can talk to the nurses and tell them. But nurses can also pick up on it. At City of Hope, if a patient doesn't have a palliative care consult, the nurse can talk to the social worker who then can initiate a request. There's some communication that has to occur with the attendees, but our docs can talk to docs. And pretty much anybody can put in for it, and then we will work with what we have to make it formalized so the doctors are on board. So really it's a matter of communicating at least with the bedside nurse, um, that you're interested in having us involved. Right. But, uh, Bonnie, when you're talking about pain management, and I, I know that that is um, symptom management is one of the main components of palliative care. Um, right. I, you know, I had um, a situation uh, with a, uh, a gentleman. He was, uh, he had metastatic uh, prostate cancer and he was so, afraid that he was going to get hooked on and he that's why he, he put it he, he didn't want to get hooked on pain meds and so i said well you know you've got metastatic prostate cancer and you're 90 so i think probably at this point the being yeah addicted to pain meds should be the last uh you know the last thing on your list of uh problems so can you can you tell us a little bit about how you handle those uh, situations when when the pain management comes up? Well, especially the concerns about addiction, I get into helping them understand what is addiction and what is your body's normal process of tolerating pain medicine. Um, what happens in addiction is you continue to crave the pain medication after the pain is no longer present because you like the effects. You like the euphoria, the isolation. It is a psychological problem. This would not apply to this gentleman. And I think once they understand that, they can shelve the addiction concern. Now, tolerance, your body, when it is in pain and you take pain medicine, your body slows down on producing the endorphins and the chemicals that really can help you diminish your pain perception. And over time, it really slows it down. So if you stop taking the pain medication, your body has to remember how to make it again. And you go through what feels like withdrawal or lose symptoms. People think, if I go through withdrawal, that must mean I'm addicted. No, it means your body developed a tolerance and that you cannot just cut it off. So you need to explain these things, and you need to get them comfortable to buy into this so that they take the medication the way they should. No one deserves to suffer. And in right. this case, I would talk with this gentleman because a lot of times they don't want to address their pain because they interpret an increase in pain as an increase in their cancer. Mm-hmm. And you right. need to identify what else is going on here that you're afraid to take pain medication. 
and and really help them with it. And again, that's the holistic uh, approach. So I really try to talk with them. I mean, like, what's what really at the core of this? What's going on in your head right now? And it's pretty amazing sometimes the extra baggage they're carrying, and it's just easier to say, I don't want to get addicted. Right. And, Bonnie, I think uh, you've hit on two really important uh, words you can kind of associate is comfort and quality. Uh, those two things are really, um, you know, in, included in the in the palliative process because you know you you don't want the last memories your family has of you writhing in pain and just you know uh, really your symptoms are out of control. So you know I always try to remember that palliative care can really provide a dignified death. Instead of, you know, one that is going to cause family members to have P- PTSD and, you know, just, you know, fear their own death. And um, so so I, th- I think that you've really um, given us a good uh, overall view of uh, palliative care. But, you know, and hopefully inspired people to have those talks and 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 research the five wishes and and have an advanced directive i think you know if we can you know summarize and get those points out of this conversation i I think that 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 would be a good thing for everyone oh absolutely people need to know that death can be a peaceful loving compassionate part of life and and that goes for healthcare providers so um it is it is a huge amount of education and it is a relatively new field that we're trying to get the word out that uh, this is not necessarily anything that needs to be equated with suffering and that's what we're trying to do Bonnie I would like to close by maybe kind of also suggest or you know kind of doing a shout out to you uh, about your but the book, uh, Resilient oh, Hearts. I was, I was, I, you know, been, uh, been plowing through it. And, but I would like you, if you can just take maybe two minutes out and kind of let our listeners know, uh, a little bit about what Resilient Hearts is about and why, you know, what compelled you to write it. Resilient Hearts is about a palliative care team. I wanted to show the kind of people that do this work right. that, you know, are trained, but also have kind of this inherent compassion and actually playfulness. They really try to help these individuals enjoy the time they have and help the patients and families literally be in a position to celebrate the time they have. And I shared, uh, a, it's a continuous story of this group's experiences, but also how deeply we are impacted by caring for these incredibly courageous people as they go through their final life journey. I wanted people to see what I do, and I wanted them to realize that it's not horrible. Yes, it's sad, but sadness can mix with tears. I'm sorry, sadness can mix with laughter, and it can be amazing. And that's what I wanted to show uh, with this uh, novel that I wrote that's based on multiple situations. Um, so it is loosely based in fact, and, and it's just another way to try to educate right. what you should be expecting. 
And do is there a way for uh, anybody that, that's listening? Uh, could it, you know how can they get the book, or is there a, a, an avenue where they can uh, get a copy? Um, probably the easiest one right now is you can get it on Amazon. Okay. Um, and you just go by the title or my name. Um, okay. Roland Hart or Bonnie Freeman. And I am, cross your fingers, working now with some individuals that um, are independent filmmakers. Very good. And I and I finished the script on it. Oh, and good. I'm really hoping at least minimum to use it at conferences to help nurses. But I really think it could educate the public. Too. Sure. Well, you'll have to come back when uh, when yeah. that project is uh, complete and and share your experience and the and the feedback you're getting on it. That'd be great. Yes. Uh, well, keep your fingers crossed for me. It's kind of a touchy subject. So. All right, we'll start uh, shopping for your dress for the red carpet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then maybe we'll we'll, oh. we'll have our microphones out there and we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll see if we can broadcast from that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, there you go. We'll definitely, <laughs> and we'll go ahead and put your information and the book's information on our website uh, for well, you know just kind of I'll show how you know it's kind of a little blurb on how they can pick up their copy of Resilient Hearts, written by uh, Bonnie Freeman. So um, we want to thank you so much for being on the show. I, you know, it was enlightening, uh, even for you know us case managers. But I'm <laughs> sure that our listening audience is going to be very, you know, have are going to be enlightened as well. And again, we'll put some your information um, up on the website so people can learn more, and we'll try to throw some more resources up there too, so people can educate themselves about palliative care and hospice. Wonderful. So, so well, again, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the, from the bottom of our hearts that thank you, you Bonnie. Ca- that you came on the show. So, uh, with that said, we want to say thank you again to Bonnie Freeman, and this is uh, the Informed Patient Radio Show with Eric and Susan. And we'd like to again always uh, tell the audience to invite their friends and family to listen to the show, and you can listen to the show at any time at Informed PT. Dot com. Until then, stay healthy, everyone. <laughs>